Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this past week. We thank you for every day. But Lord, as we recognize our annual Thanksgiving Day, and we couldn't really celebrate it the same way as we normally would, but it didn't matter. The thanks we had for you, the thanks for all you've done, the thanks that we are still here, that we're able to gather, that we're able to worship, Lord, is, is, is the only thing we really need to be able to do. From there, all other things will be possible. So Lord, we invite you in today. May our hearts be open and may we learn today more of how we can be like you and that in the way that your son taught us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's worship our Lord. Good morning. You know, as a real estate agent, Lynn and I both know there's one address we can't sell. A heavenly address. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Now, Billy Graham lived on a high mountain in a log cabin in North Carolina, and he had traveled all over the world. But he knew when he came home, he was always at a precise location. It will still be there at the end of his journey. Well, this was when he was alive, and will always be something that he was looking forward to. In saying that he was going to prepare us a place, Jesus was telling us that when we die, we are going to a precise location. We do not evaporate or disappear. In fact, he said, in my father's house are many mansions. We are going to have a place in heaven if we have trusted in Christ as our savior, and not only a place, but a mansion. And when we die as Christians, we go straight into the presence of Christ, straight to that place, straight to that mansion in heaven to spend eternity with God. We are simply changing our address. The hope for today, have you ever shown up at someone's house unexpectedly or early? A little awkward. On the other hand, when someone greets you at the door and has the guest room ready, it feels comfortable. When you arrive in heaven, all the heavenly host will be expecting you. I will bless your name, 
Today's uh, Old Testament reading is from Psalm 80. It's a psalm of Asaph, but I think it's an apt prayer for today, for us. O give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your power and come to save us. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have made them drink tears in large measure. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the Son of Man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. And I could say amen to that. And if you will stand with me, we can say the Lord's Prayer together. <clears throat> Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it is not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And as long as you're standing, why don't you just say hello to people around you?
Our New Testament reading today comes from Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians, uh, verses, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way, with all your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you will need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you take your bulletin, we have a responsive reading. Thank you, God, for each new morning with its light for rest and shelter of the night, for health and food, for love and friends, for everything thy goodness sends. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, they all belongs to you, and we know that you have shared with us. For some reason, you trust us. You give us that opportunity. To, to But you call on us not to just not to just take, but to give, to return back some of what is you have shared with us so that others may come to know you. Some that are less fortunate can be fed. Some that need something maybe can be housed, Lord. So as we, as we give our gifts today, may we remember that they, they do all belong to you and that it is only through your grace that we, we are allowed to share them. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Everybody have a good, good, well, there we go, that's loud. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? We're, we're, we're establishing a new norm, normal, aren't we? It's, it's, everything's different, isn't it? That's... Uh, well, this morning I want to talk to you about, uh, we're continuing in Colossians, and we're going to talk about husbands and wives, and, um, and I'm going to read four verses, but we're only going to talk about two of these. We're just going to talk about husbands and wife part of it, but in Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21, <clears throat> wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So, <clears throat> theme kind of this morning is that the husband-wife relationship, if we see it uh, from God's perspective, is a really beautiful thing. The way God designed uh, man and woman to come together. But in order to understand... Um, these admonitions to husbands and wives, we need to go back and pick up really um, <clears throat> the context in which it comes. 
And we can't really understand it without the context. If you remember, Colossians chapter, chapters 1 and 2 were talking about theology. And uh, as he does in, in Ephesians, as Paul does in a lot of his letters, he establishes the theology, and then um, out of that, then, how do we live? And so Colossians chapter 3, we start the whole section on, okay, now that we have right theology, or, or orthodoxy, as we call it, uh, then how do we live, or, or orthopraxis? How do, we, how do we put it into practice? And he starts chapter 3, then, with setting our hearts and our minds on Christ Jesus, the the place where we start is that we get our eyes on Christ. Christ is the center of everything. Then he talks about putting to death whatever belongs to our sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and so on and so forth. Then he talks about clothing ourselves, putting on the new self with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect union, unity. So then, <clears throat> Paul establishes then that uh, we put off that sinful nature and we put on that which is Christ, with, that which comes from Christ. Christ dwelling within us is, is these, uh, these, <clears throat> these uh, Christian characters. And then we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And then we let the word of God dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to God. So we're setting up then. And whatever you do, it says, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, the point is this, that the home and the relationships that we see in the home going back to our, our verses then, uh, come in the context of character. And we can't understand the admonitions given to husbands and wives without the context in which we find it, which is that husband and wife, the, the home is to be established in Christian character. And that's really the, you know, the grease or the oil that keeps the home uh, going. Good family relations come from Christian character. When we are transformed into the image of Christ, he's at work in us to enable us to live together in peace, love, and spiritual growth. And so many times, you know, we've heard teachings on the home, and we don't take into account this, the whole context in which we find these verses. And I think the, the, the uh, context is extremely important. So in short, the home is to be a place where the love of Christ reigns supreme. And we ought to, okay, and we, we have the privilege of establishing a home where Christ dwells. And, you know, I, in my experience, a, a Christian home is so radically different from a home in the world, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, you don't have to be, a, some of you, had the privilege of being with family over Thanksgiving. And, and sometimes it's not so easy, you know, uh, because some of our families of origin and some of our, you know, other people we know, the, the, the 
home is just unraveling in America. And we as Christians are called to establish then a home founded upon the rock. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer the pattern of this world. So the world has its pattern of, um, <clears throat> of how a marriage ought to go and how children and parents ought to be, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so what God has called us to do is to establish first in our minds and then in our homes a, a just a radically different concept of, of what it's like to be husband and wife. And I believe that uh, marriage is the biggest tool that God uses in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. We as couples know each other very well. We know the faults in each other, don't we? <laughs> you know. Um, and yet, God tells the wife to submit to the husband, the husband to love his wife like Christ loves the church. So it seems almost incongruous, you know, that, you, that in, the, in the context then, uh, where we know somebody really well, and where we are so emotionally entwined with that person that God establishes how we ought to do it. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's easier to love someone who doesn't affect us so much emotionally or whom we don't know very well. I mean, it's easy to put on, you know, to, to appear to be loving, but to actually be loving is something that's really difficult in the context of the home. And I think, you know, I think God did it that way on purpose because, um, you know, it's the most difficult, but it's also the place, the home is, where there we can show a radical difference as Christians from the ways of the world. We don't conform to the world, we conform to Christ. So I believe that the hardest place to be a good Christian is in the home. Second hardest place is in the workplace. And so that's what Paul is going to address in Colossians here, chapter at the end of chapter 3. And these instructions go against our human nature. Our human nature is self-centered. It's all about me. You serve me. And Christ's admonitions are serve each other and love each other. So, having said that, let's talk about then the admonition to husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be, that, that, you know, that's not that you have multiple wives, but your wives, <laughs> husbands plural, wives plural, <laughs> and, and do not be harsh with them, Paul says. So God is talking then about the character of a husband and the kind of love that we ought to have. Now we talked a number of weeks ago about agape love, all right? And agape love is, as we talked about, self-sacrificial. The very nature of agape love is that you give yourself to somebody else. It's self-sacrificial. You're looking to them. You're looking to bless them. It's volitional. It's not dependent on circumstances or her response. You're, you are giving volitionally love to each other. And this agape love is unconditional. It's a one-way love. So we as husbands then, we are admonished to love our wives whether or not we get that response back from her. Now, of course, that, that takes, it's supernatural. You can't do that by yourself. 
Um, we can't love our wives the way Christ wants us to love our wives um, if we're always looking for signals, you know, and a response. We're to love unconditionally, one way. And it's not reciprocal. So many marriages, unfortunately, uh, both Christian marriages and uh, marriages in our culture are just getting by. And many marriages are ending. They're, you know, high divorce rate. I, it's gone way up, and then it's uh, fortunately in the last, I don't know how many years, maybe 10 years or so, starting a little bit of a decline in terms of divorce rate. But still, many, many marriages are in trouble. And, you know, we have then, as we talked about in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world. How many of you grew up in Christian homes? Okay, I didn't. Um, you didn't, yeah. Some of us didn't, some of us did, some of us didn't. And the, probably the greatest influence that we have in terms of getting along with each other as husband and wife is that we look to our parents' marriage. Um, and for some of us, that was really positive. How many, how many of you could say your, your, your parents had a really good marriage? That's great. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, you know, that's great. You've got a great model to look, to look toward. Um, but a lot of people who are growing up in our culture, and I think this is a sad thing of our day, is that so many children are growing up in homes that are really totally dysfunctional. Um, and, you know, we in the church are doing a lot of healing you know, we're, we're called to bring healing to those who have grown up in those kinds of homes. And, um, and uh, you know, and sometimes it's difficult. Um, my own parents, Frank and Virginia, I'm sure you all know them. <laughs> now, they both passed away a long time ago. Um, they, I grew up in a non-Christian home, um, or, or what I think it's probably more correct to say, a, a nominal Christian home. Uh, we were members of the Episcopal Church, and uh, and um, and my parents, my parents stayed together, um, you know, until and and moms took care of dad in his final years. He got ALS, you know, Lou Gehrig's disease. He got that in the latter part of his life, and mom took care of him. Um, but they stayed together, but they weren't Christians, and I had to learn. Uh, from Christ, what it means to have a good marriage. Um, even though they had a, a good marriage, and Caroline's family as well, uh, her parents had a good marriage. So we both of us came out of families with good marriages, but non-Christian marriages. And there were fault lines in their marriages. And, and I think that's fairly typical. So... We've had to learn then, you know, what it means then, what a Christian marriage is all about. And I remember my early days of, of coming to Christ, and, and I was just watching everybody. You know, because I wanted to know what, you know, what is a Christian marriage? What, what does it mean to be a Christian? I really didn't know. I mean, I was just totally ignorant. Because... I, you know, the church I went to, you know, with, they, they taught about Christ and so on, but as I mentioned before, they said, you know, they taught that the Bible is just a bunch of good uh, myths and stories and, 
not really the Word of God. And, and it just, you know, it wasn't your pattern for life. It was just a nice, a nice place to go. So, let's look then at this kind of love that Paul is talking about. And we, to do that, we've got to go to Ephesians. And Colossians gives us just a snapshot um, and it's, it's kind of a, um, you know, a little snapshot of what Paul talks about then in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, a couple things I want to point out in this. First of all, that we as husbands, it's our love for our wives, our self-sacrificial love, our giving to her, that allows her to, um, to become a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. In other words, we, are, uh, we set the stage then so that our wives can grow into the image of Christ, so that they can be everything that God called them to be. And the main vehicle for that is our love for her. We set the atmosphere where she can grow and feel confident that, that her husband's going to stand by her, that her husband loves her you know, through thick and thin. It says the husband is to love his wife as his own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So that's the kind of self-sacrificial love that we're talking about. So we're to feed and care for our wives, not necessarily physically, although that's part of it, but emotionally and spiritually. Let me say that again. Husbands, we are to set the stage so that our wives can grow emotionally and spiritually. It's our love that lays the foundation so that that growth can take place. It says we are actually one flesh with our wives. And that's why divorce is so difficult. So what we're saying is this, that husbands are to be like Christ in their character and in their love. <clears throat> so the husband is to be like Jesus in his character. All right, now I'm going I'm to read some of these things talking about what Jesus is like, although that's really hard to describe. Jesus is merciful, just, compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, joyful, peaceful, long-suffering, full of goodness, faithful, meek, self-controlled. He's not envious or boastful. He's not proud. He's not self-seeking, slow to anger, courageous. He's rejoicing with the truth. He always protects us. He looks for the best in us. He's full of hope. He always perseveres. Okay, any of you measure up to that? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing of, of the Word of God is that, I mean, it calls us to a really high standard, doesn't it? Um, but the good news is that Christ is at work in us 
to, to make us into that kind of person. Most of all, he's completely loving, self-sacrificially, unconditionally, volitionally, eternally. In summary, our love for our wives is to be self-sacrificial. Okay, let's go uh, to Ephesians 5.25 again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, so if we're going to summarize it then, it's that we give up our lives as husbands for our lives. We lay down our lives. And then it says, don't be harsh with them. Okay, so I believe the first part is talking about our love for our, for our wives, but the second part, don't be harsh with them, talks about our leadership style. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So what is Jesus' style of leadership? All right? And the first thing I would say is this, and this is really important that you get this point, that Jesus does not violate our wills. Okay? Jesus does not violate your will. We have been given free will. It says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Jesus' style of leadership is that there is no compulsion. Jesus does not force us to follow him. Does he? In no way does he, fo does he force us to follow him. Say, if you don't do that, you're going to hell. That's not what he says. He says that he, he loved us first, and, be, and as a response to that love then, we begin, and that work of Christ in our lives, we begin to be loving back. But he doesn't force us. He doesn't say, you have to do this, and this and that and the other thing. He says, you get to do those things. There's no compulsion. Now, when that comes to the home then, and this is really important, husbands, we cannot force our wives to submit to us. We cannot violate their will. That's not what God called us to do. We love them, and as a response to that love, then our wife comes along, and our wife begins to love us back. Rather, we love our wives so that she changes from the inside out, including her will. All right, I think I just left you. <laughs> we just got up to 30,000 feet. <laughs> Forget it. It's over. <laughs> Secondly, Jesus' leadership style is that he leads through character, not through demand. Same, same kind of concept. That Jesus, you know, he, he is so loving and he is so perfect that you want to obey him. You know, you're just, you can't wait to obey him. You want to be like him. Now, husbands who try to achieve order by imposition are often motivated by insecurity and a fear of the inability to lead or guide in any other way. Um, one uh, book on marriage says this, deeper confidence in the Lord Jesus places less overwhelming responsibility on our poor shoulders and allows greater freedom to admit weaknesses, to hear the counsel of others, and to consider the needs of others. So, 
Um, and they've shown that the best kinds of leadership, not just in the home, but in the workplace and so on, is when we are, we are willing to admit our weaknesses, hear the counsel of others, consider the needs of others, and they found that in the workplace that works just as well as in the home or any place. That we, that we lead, the best way of leading is through our character. Third thing about Jesus' leadership is that he leads through servant leadership. Matthew 20, verse 25 and following. Jesus called them together, that is the apostles, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Okay, so here's a contrast then. Jesus is giving this contrast of, of the leadership style among the Gentiles or among those who don't know Christ. <coughs> and their high officials exercise authority over them. So then what they do is they lord it over. you got to do it because I said you should do it. And then he says in verse 26, not so with you. Okay, so I'm going to show you a different way of doing this. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus then is contrasting the leadership style of those in the world with those in the church. He said we need to be a servant, not a master with our wives. He turns leadership on its head. Now we, we in our uh, Timothy project, and we were, you know, what we were doing is trying to set the stage in Turkey for, for uh, particularly for young Turks and how you lead. And so we, we spent a lot of time in the Timothy Project trying to help young Turks to understand how to lead. Because in Turkey, as it is here in the United States, but it's exemplified in, I mean, not, it's, it's compounded in Turkey. The whole concept of leadership in Turkey, and I think in a lot of the Muslim world, is that the guy on top calls all the shots. And a lot of these young Turks wanted to, wanted to lead so that they could be the one standing in front and saying, you do this and you do that and you do this, that, and the other thing. And they love the idea of being first. <laughs> and so we had, we, had, you know, we had our work cut out helping them to, um, to learn how to be a servant leader. In Mark 9:33, and it says they came to Capernaum. This is Jesus and his apostles. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now you can just hear these disciples and they're walking along and you know, they're, they're following Jesus and listening to Jesus. And then as they're going from one place to the other, they're arguing about who's, who's greater. <laughs> does that sound familiar? <laughs> I think it does. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be very last and the servant of all. So Jesus defines then that leadership is that we take the last place, not the first. Okay, so a servant leader then doesn't try to take prominence, but a servant leader says, I'll take last place. And secondly, that the servant leader serves 
doesn't ask to be served. Where do you see in Jesus, you know, the whole history of Jesus' life where Jesus demanded that they serve him? No, we don't see it. We don't see it. And, and right at the end, Jesus washed their feet. He washed their feet, showing them that what you need to be doing is to serve. Well, that's the kind of service and that kind of leadership that Paul is talking about. The problem is that harshness comes from hardness of heart. And so Paul is lifting this up to us and saying, don't be hard of heart with your wives. And it is easy in leadership when you're taking, you know, stuff coming at you in whatever context it is, it's easy to get hardened. And so one of the most important things for us as husbands is to have a soft heart before Christ. And it's that soft heart that taking those things to Christ and, 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 uh, and praying through those things that allows us not to be harsh with our wives. Ezekiel 34 talks about the shepherds of Israel. And it says this, You have ruled them harshly and brutally. The problem with the shepherds of Israel back in Ezekiel's day was that they, 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 uh, they ruled harshly and brutally. And one of the greatest things, I think, for that is to learning, learn how to be a good listener. That's one skill that I think um, God, you know, will, will help us in any context we're in. James 1.19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Um, a number of years ago, a lot of years ago now, um, Carolyn and I came to Tucson in order to church plant. And uh, we joined the free church. And we were, and as part of church planting in the free church, they said you need to go and do a church planting, um, it was a seminar, it was a whole week, uh, talking about church planting. And there were two purposes of it. One was to talk about you know, what it means to church plant, how you do it, and the mechanics, and all that kind of stuff. Second part was an assessment. And on whether you are qualified, you know, whether you, what, the, what this stuff is that you have that will help you in church planning, what will not help you. And then at the end of the whole week, um, after, and they're, you know, they're both teaching you, but also assessing you, your, your capability for church planting, you meet with a psychologist. And, uh, and I forgot to mention, before they do that, um, you know, when you're going to this seminar or this, this uh, training, um, you, both you and your wife are to take a survey questionnaire. And so we had done that. So we came to the end of the time, and you meet with a psychologist, and he goes over with your capabilities and so on, and here's the things you need to shore up and so on. One of the things he, he told me uh, was, you need to listen to your wife. <laughs> and, and I went, wait a minute, you know, how do you know that? <laughs> well, something, something in the way we, because she wasn't there, so it was just me. They don't know my wife, and they're saying, you need to listen to her. And I go, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you don't even know her. Why should I listen to her? And so on. Well, I've, I've learned over the years 
that the, the greatest thing that I can do as a, as a husband is to listen to my wife. She's not always right, but she's right a lot of the time. <laughs> and if I don't listen to her, I always end up, you know, shipwrecked somewhere. <laughs> Ever, any of you have to end that trouble, guys? <laughs> and, and where does that come from? It comes from that, that worldly kind of leadership style. I'm the one on top. She's supposed to submit to me, so I, you know, and that doesn't work. <laughs> we learn that, okay. At our age, we've, we've, we've learned these things, right? <laughs> no, we're still in process. Okay, all right, so we can take the spotlight off the guys now. Guys, you can relax for a little bit. <laughs> and let's talk about the admonition to wives. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now the reason that I wanted to talk about husbands first is that you cannot understand that admonition to wives to submit to their husbands until you understand the admonition to husbands. Isn't that right? Um, Galatians, Galatians 3, 26 through 29, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the first thing that we need to understand about this um, submission is that we are all, male and female, we're on an equal footing. We all are children of God. We are all called to grow in Christ. We're all called, all the, all the uh, admonitions in scriptures are both to male and female. There's no difference when it comes to spiritual, you know, spiritual things. Both husband and wife are called to be like Christ. They may have different roles, but they're both called to spiritual maturity. That's important. Furthermore, wives are fully equal in innate abilities, talents, potential in the Lord, and so on. So we're not talking about inferior dignity or worth. He's, just, he's not suggesting the woman is naturally or spiritually inferior to the man or the wife to the husband. But here's the rub. Imperfect husbands are to love imperfect wives, and imperfect wives are to submit to imperfect husbands. That's where the difficulty comes in, isn't it? Is that, you know... <clears throat> Your husbands are not Christ. I'm sure that you wives have found that out. <laughs> there's, there's a few differences here and there. <laughs> and, and, and so God calls you to submit to that person who's imperfect, and that imperfect husband is to love imperfectly that, husband, that wife who is imperfect. There is the problem. So... <clears throat> So in that context, then, Jesus calls us to a higher standard. And then, so it says, submit to your husbands. In the word, in Greek, the word submit is not repeated for wives in Ephesians 5.22. So her submission, then, comes out of mutual submission. In Ephesians 5.22, 5.21 says, submit yourselves one to another. 522 says, wives, submit to your husbands. Okay? And it's not even repeated, that word submit, 
for the wife, it's not even repeated. It's just an extension of submitting yourselves one to another. So, both husband and wife, then, are to submit to one another. And the husband is called to lay down his life. He's called to submit to his wife. All right, take that home. (laughs) Husband is is to submit to the wife. I have lost you. <laughs> and we've all heard sermons and teachings on, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Husband calls the shot, wives submit to your husbands. Well, wait a minute. It's in the context of, first of all, sub- mutual submission one to another. Secondly, it's in the context of husbands lay down your lives for your wives. What wife would not want to submit to Somebody who is like Christ. I mean, if your husband, you know, your husband is not like Christ, but what woman would not want to submit to somebody like that? Who wouldn't want to submit to a husband who's laying down his life for her? So I want you to see this, okay? In the context then, husbands laying down their lives for the wife, Wife laying down her life for her husband, that's the context that we're talking about. And the result then is women of character. God's objective is to produce dynamic, productive, fruitful wives, not cowering, unfulfilled ones, ones who have no mind of their own or no standards of their own, but he wants wives to be, to be uh, you know, I, I think of it like... Uh, like a, a racehorse, um, that what God wants is he doesn't want wives who are, you know, like a, like a plow horse and just their heads down and kind of plodding along. God wants us as husbands to create the atmosphere for our wives so that they can be a racehorse. So they can find those things that God has called them to be and they can be everything that God has called them to be and we're helping them in the process. One commentator said it this way, the exercise of authority and leadership in any organization will be most effective if it is done in such a way that the abilities of those under authority are developed to their fullest rather than suppressed. That's what we're called to do. John Adams um, said this. He said, from all that I had read of history and government of human life and manners, I had drawn this conclusion that the manners of women were the most infallible barometer to ascertain the degree of morality and virtue of a nation. The Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, the Swiss, the Dutch, all lost their public spirit in their republican forms of government when they lost the modesty and domestic virtues of their women. Alexis de Tocqueville. Um, Do you know who he is? He... He was um, a French diplomat and writer and so on. And he came over to America um, in the early 1800s and then wrote a two-volume history, of, and he called it Democracy in America. Okay? Yeah, there's the, <clears throat> there's the book there. And at the end of it, he concludes. And he was, he was trying to ascertain 
what is going on in America? Why is America just exploding? What's going on? He says this, And now that I've come near the end of this book, in which I have recorded so many considerable achievements of the Americans, if anyone asks me what I think the chief cause of the extraordinary prosperity and growing power of this nation, listen to this, I should answer that it is due to the superiority of their women. Wow. So we have then, I believe, as Christians, men and women, we have the responsibility to demonstrate what a Christian home looks like. What does it look like? How do we love our wives? How do we submit to our husbands? And how, you know, how does this fit together so that the home can be a place where both male and female are maximized? Proverbs 31.10, a wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. And then it goes into and talks about this woman who's just you know, on fire and doing all kinds of stuff and taking care of the poor, doing this and that and the other thing. And then in verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. And I can stand before you today and say, I praise my wife as well. Um, she's a godly woman and, and just, uh, you know, I'm, God has so blessed me with a wonderful wife. So our marriages then are to reflect and characterize the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 9, we're taught to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we as Christians then have the responsibility and the joy to establish the, an, an atmosphere in a home where all of us are growing to our full potential. That's our goal. And it's the husband's love for the wife that enables her to grow to be everything that God has called her to be. Both husband and wife, wife then are to lay down their lives for each other, become more like Christ. If we do that, we'll reflect the kingdom of God on earth. And I thank God that we as believers we have, a, we have a model. Okay, so no matter what kind of home we grew up in, we have a model in Scripture that if we, if we set our course to do what God says in His Word, our marriage will be a blessing. And out of a good marriage comes good children. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You. All of us live in... We, we had imperfect homes. We have an imperfect wife and an imperfect husband. But Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Help us to be the kind of men that you called us to be and the kind of women that God has called us to be. And we just commit our way into your hands. Father, help us. Help us with the, with the rough edges in our marriage. Help us to, to take those rough edges off and we call out to you, Lord, that our homes, our marriages will be the kind of marriages 
that will bring glory and honor to you. And that others can look at our lives and look at our marriage and say, uh, that's, the, that's what Christ is like. We live in imperfect marriages, Father. But help us to move toward perfection. Help us to love our wives. Help us to lay down our lives for one another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank, we thank you for our, for our spouses, whether it be husbands and wives or wives and husbands, Lord. We know that together we are stronger than we are, that our love, the love that you have taught us, makes us that way, that we, we do complete each other. Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity of learning to love the way you would have us love. And Lord, to listen, to be able to listen and understand one another, both to our husband, to our, to our spouses, and to each other, Lord, so that our, we can be stronger and we can be a better servant this, 
we do in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.